Matthew 28 is commonly referred to as the Great Commission because it is an invitation where God, Jesus, the resurrected Savior, um, invites us to join in the mission of God. And, you know, this is kind of like his final last words to his disciples before he goes. If you could just imagine, Good Friday happened, Jesus dies on the cross, buried for three days, Resurrection Sunday comes, and then on Resurrection Sunday, it was the women who come to the tomb because all the guys wimped out and they were scared. <laughs> the women come to the tomb and Jesus tells them, hey, tell the disciples to go to Galilee and I'll meet them there in the mountains in a special place. You know, there's a, a legend that recounts the return of Jesus to glory after his time on earth, meaning there's a story of pretty much uh, what it would be like after Jesus gave the Great Commission, which is our text this morning. Even in heaven, Jesus bore the marks of his earthly pilgrimage with its cruel cross and its shameful death. The angel Gabriel approached him and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for people down there. He looked at his hands and his feet. Jesus says, I did. And Gabriel continued, do they all know about how you love them and what you did for them? He said, oh no, Jesus said, not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know about my love. And Gabriel was perplexed. Then what have you done to let everyone know about that you love them? Jesus said, you know what? I've asked Peter, James, and John, and a few of my friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told will, turn, will in turn tell other people, and my story will be spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all of mankind will have heard about my life and what I have done. Gabriel frowned. And looked rather skeptical. He knew full well what poor stuff people were made of. Yes, he said, but what if Peter, James, and John, they grow weary and they grow tired and they get discouraged? What if the people who come after them forget about the Great Commission? Haven't you made any other plans? Jesus said, I have no other plans. I'm counting on them. 2,000 years later... <laughs> Jesus still has no other plan. He's counting on you and me. See, the Great Commission is this, that there is no plan B. <laughs> plan A is that God would use broken vessels like you and me to receive His grace, to be changed, to be transformed from the inside out, to be radically saved and when we experience that that we go and tell others that we go into the nations and baptize and teach people to obey everything that Jesus has said and there is no plan B this is called the great co-mission if you think about that word like mission impossible right and you think the word co with that God invites us to go on a mission to expand his kingdom, that the reign and rule of God, of righteousness, goodness, and the Holy Spirit would reach forth in this world and you and I 
get to be a part of what he's doing. And this is what the Great Commission is about. It's not the great suggestion like, ah, guys, uh, do you think you could uh, maybe if you have the chance and put it in your schedule when your calendar clears up, maybe you could tell people about me. He's like, no, no, no. I have been given authority in heaven and on earth. I want you to go and make, disi and make disciples. This is not only the great suggestion, right? But it's not the great omission, meaning we don't get to omit and cut it out of Christianity. This is the commission that God the missionary God, the God of mission, would invite us to partner with him, make that RSVP, that Evite, right? RSVP with him to reach the world for Christ. And so this morning, we're going to talk about all authority. So let's go to our text in Matthew chapter 28. Let's all stand together, just in reverence to God's word, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to read verse 16 through 20. Uh, you could read and you could follow along with your eyes. And could, uh, Noah, could we make sure that we have that 25-minute countdown so I don't go over? All right. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, hey, by the way, could we say thank you to Noah for volunteering and stepping up? So 10 years old, I remember when my dad planted a church, we had... Uh, projector screens. Remember, you remember those things? And I was nervous and I was shaking and then I had to flip over. Remember that? And I was doing that for the worship and I was doing that for the notes and uh, it's great to see that Noah stepped up. I called our pro presenter guy who would usually do it. He says, oh, Dawson, looking forward to, for, to serve together tomorrow. He's like, you know what? Since you're serving and getting up and being here at six o'clock in the morning, what do you want at Starbucks? He goes, Oh, that's great, Pastor, but I'm leaving tonight. I'm going to Reno to snowboard for spring break. I'm like, what? And so I texted my wife. I was like, I guess Noah has to do it. So Noah's here, so make sure to give him a high five afterwards. All right, let's go to our text, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted out of the 11. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we need you, O oh God because there is no plan B, C, or D. Lord, that you gave your life, you gave of yourself for us so that we can go and tell others about the good news of Jesus. And Father, we believe, I believe in my heart of hearts that we could do more in reaching the gospel in one month than a thousand years if it was under the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit. So would you, Holy Spirit, right now, quicken our minds? Would you change our hearts, O oh God, that the things that matter to you matter to us? Lord, eternity is at stake, O oh God. People are dying every day to a Christless eternity. They need someone to go, share the gospel, live as a testimony, live as a witness for you, God. 
love them with the love of Christ. Teach them and baptize them. And this is what you ask us and this is what you require of us, Lord, is to this great commission. And so, Father, we need your grace. We need your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. You may be seated. So the Great Commission is in all of the Gospels. We were going to study in Matthew 28 because that's the one that's most familiar, but it's also in Mark, in the synoptics gospel, Synoptic Gospels, Mark and Luke, but it's also in the Gospel of John, where Jesus, uh, John records that just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So all four of the, all four of the Gospel writers record the importance of Jesus co-missioning his followers to go and preach the gospel throughout the nations. And so this morning, I have two main points because we're going to cover two main verses, all right? The first one is this, that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It is a complete game changer when Jesus was raised from the dead, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, with power, okay? Why do I say that? Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, it'll be on your notes and on the screen as well. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they what? Worshipped him. So a lot of the 11 disciples, because 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 says that there's about 500 people that Jesus ministered to in his resurrected state. Meaning after Jesus resurrected from the dead, he had about 50 days he spent here on earth. So he appeared to the disciples here, but he also appeared to 500 different people. Do you guys know that there, there's more proof about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the existence of resurrection in terms of manuscript documents than there is about the life of Julius Caesar? That the resurrection is a historical event and it is a historical fact and it changes everything. Look, we see here in verse 16 that Jesus tells them, hey, go to the mountain in the mountains of Galilee. And as they meet there, it says the 11 met up with him and... Of the 11, some bow down and worship. It's really you, Jesus. You really died for our sins. You really conquered sin and death. But it says right there that some were what? Some doubted. Some were skeptics. Why? Because they saw Jesus hanging on a cross. And the word, um, the word doubted there, it doesn't really mean unbelief or disbelief, but they were trying to process, like, wait, how he rose from the dead? How is this even possible? It's just kind of like Thomas. Now, the word doubted here only occurs one other time in the New Testament. Okay, the Greek word here, it's when Peter encountered Jesus and in, when he walked on water and Peter began to doubt, like, how is that possible that he's where reality comes in and what our expectation is and what the truth is, it doesn't line up. How could anybody walk on water? Peter saw that and he began to doubt if that was really Jesus, if that was even possible. And when the disciples came, they saw Jesus. I'm like, is this really real? What did Jesus do to Thomas? He says, hey, Thomas, you don't... You don't believe me that I'm resurrected? What did he say? Touch my, touch my side. It's really me. 
I have literally and physically resurrected from the dead and it changes everything. What do I mean by that? Look at two chapters before that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. Jesus here, he is giving uh, just a, a prophecy and he's uh, proclaiming that he has to suffer and he has to die. Look at verse 56. But all this has taken place, meaning Jesus has to die on the cross, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, Isaiah 53, right? The suffering servant, that there is a servant of God that has to suffer for our sins. What happens in verse 56 when Jesus says the, the Messiah, Jesus has to die? What did he say? Then all the, the what? All the disciples left him and fled. This is the first time I've seen this, reading the Bible for so many years, that it says all of the disciples left him and fled. That they committed apostasy, just like Jesus, G, Peter denied Jesus three times. When Jesus says, I'm going to have to die, and you're going to have to follow in my way, they're like, mm-mm. They, all of them, left Jesus, and they ran, and they fled. How does the resurrection of Jesus change everything? The resurrection of Jesus changes and redeems failure. That they failed God. All the disciples failed and rejected God. All of them left him and fled. And here comes Jesus in his resurrected body and says, Hey, you guys, I will meet you again. Because I conquered sin and death, I have victory over the over Satan, over death, but also over your failure. That the resurrection of Jesus conquers and the grace of Jesus covers our failures. That you and I cannot sin, out-sin the grace of God. And it changes everything. Where the disciples, they disqualified themselves. And they said, you know what? We left. We're not even follow. How could you be follower, a, a, a disciple of Jesus? The word disciple there is methete, meaning a, how could you follow Jesus if you left him and you fled? They discontinued. They disqualified themselves. And here comes Jesus and says, hey, go to the mountain. I'm the resurrected king. I'm going to make all things new. The, your failure, I'm going to cover that. You know, so many times I come across people who, and like sincere Christ followers that have messed up. It's like, man, I've gone through divorce. How can God still use me? Hey, the resurrection changes everything. Failure does not get to have the final say. Death does not get the final say. The victorious king, Jesus, conquers everything. Your failure, your disobedience, and how you've neglected God, your lukewarmness. Hey, you guys, there's second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus conquered all that. That the ultimate thing that would separate us from God is death, and Jesus conquered death. Death does not win, and the resurrection changed everything. There's a quote, it's actually the, the last quote. This is by Yaroslav Pelikan, 
who is who was, excuse me, a um, church historian from Yale um, School of Divinity. And this is what he says about the resurrection. It's the last slide. No, thank you. It says, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. What does he mean by that? If Christ is risen, nothing else matters meaning the things that we worry about, the things that consume us, doubt, anxiety, right? Our sin, it doesn't matter because Christ conquered it and we could live with eternity, with a perspective of, of eternity that nothing else really matters. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. But I love how he extrapolates this. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. What, what does he mean by that? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we're going to die anyways. From dust we came and dust we return. Like it doesn't even matter. We're just going to, we live our lives here. We clock in, we clock out. We're just going to be buried in the dirt or cremated, whatever choice of uh, uh, reference, uh, how you want to be passed. Uh, but it does not matter because you know why? We only have 80 years in this life and then there's no soul and you know it doesn't really matter because we're just material beings that just de that die and that's it but guess what christ did rise from the dead and everything changes and you see here not only because you know in earlier in matthew it says that jesus told the disciples and he commissioned them he says i don't want you to go to the gentiles okay i want you to go only to the uh, house of Israel. I, I only want you to preach to Israel, to the chosen people of God. Don't go to the Gentiles. Go to who? Only the God's chosen people, Israel. And then what happened after the resurrection? The resurrection, Jesus says, you know what? I have come to save everyone. Go into all the nations. The Greek there is ta ethne, all the ethnic peoples of the world. Go and include everybody. It's not just for the chosen people of God, but it's through everyone. Why? Because the resurrection changes everything. Number two, would you write down that Jesus, the Son of Man, is Christ the King? Jesus, the Son of Man, is Christ the King. And for this, we're going to read uh, verse 18. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, when we speak of all authority in Matthew 28, you have to think about Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Let's go to that text. Daniel chapter 7, verses uh, 13 through 14, okay? And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, okay? And he came to the ancient of days, meaning God, and he was presented before God, and, and to him was given what? Dominion 
and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Now, there's basically three main messianic titles in the Bible, okay? One is the Son of God, okay? The Son of God. So when Peter saw Jesus and he says, oh, you, you are truly the Son of God. The second is called the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man, it occurs over 87 times in just the Gospels alone, meaning Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Son of Man is actually Jesus' favorite term to describe himself. He doesn't call himself the Son of God. He always, almost always calls himself, I am the Son of Man. And the third is the Christ or the Messiah. So the, these are the three Messianic titles in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as well, in the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says, you know what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Every earthly power, every heavenly power has been granted to me. You guys know so many times in the Bible, especially in the Gospels, when Jesus would heal someone, he would say, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. What, what's easier for you? To say, rise up and walk, or that your sins are forgiven? It says, the Son of Man has came, your sins have, forgive, your sins have been forgiven. In Daniel chapter 4, or yeah, chapter 7, it talks about there's these stages. It's a prophetic vision that God gives Daniel, and then God uses four stages. There's like a different type of, there's four different kinds of beasts, right? And, and then all of a sudden, this imagery changes from like these, um, like countries and superpowers that would be rising up. And then he says, all of a sudden, instead of a beast, like a, a, an eagle or a bear or a dragon, all of a sudden, I, it sees like a, I see a, a, a son of man. He's coming from the clouds, and he was given what? Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. So in Daniel 7, there is a special term. This is a special designation of Jesus, of Jesus that, that um, identifies his humanity. The problem, you guys is that whenever people see Jesus, they, they're like, oh God, you're so godly. You're, you're just like God. You're so divine. Because people always think, oh, Jesus, you know, modern times, oh, Jesus was just a good teacher. He was a moral person. But in the, old t in the Bible, when people encounter Jesus, they're like, you're God himself. But with Jesus, he kind of swings the pendulum, you know, because people are like, you're the son of God, you're the son of God, you're so holy. He swings it around and says, yes, I'm 100% God, but I'm also 100% man. That's why that was his most favorite term that he designated to himself, saying, you know what? I am this human figure in Daniel chapter 7 that all authority and power has been given to me. So, so what? <laughs> 
What does that have to do with us? That Jesus is the Son of Man, He is the Christ the King. It has to do with everything because Jesus, when He performed miracles, He designated Himself as the Son of Man, and because all authority has been given to Him, He now commissions us. John says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. What are the implications of that? Jesus told the disciples, hey, when you guys go into the towns, I want you to cast out demons. I want you to heal the sick. The blind will see. Jesus even says, I want you to pray for the dead and the dead will rise and be resurrected. Meaning, you and I, because we are a royal priesthood, because you and I are followers of Christ, you know, and I, don't get me wrong, I love getting um, hospital visitation requests. I love going out and sharing the love of Jesus. But man, do you guys see, because all authority, power, that you've been given authority and you've been commissioned by God, by Christ himself, you can go to the hospitals that if your friend is sick, why don't you try this as a, a form of evangelism and discipleship? If your friend is like, your coworker is sick or something, and they're just like, <coughs> and it's like, oh, it's okay, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you, sister. I'll pray for you, brother. Why don't you pause? It's like, hey, could we pray for you right now? Like, oh, is it okay if I pray for you? They're like, okay. James chapter 5 says, man, confess your sins to one another. Lay your hands on one another. Get, get the elders together and pray for one another. And the prayer of faith will heal that person. So many times I get into uh, like this ministry opportunity or this dire crisis where like, oh, we need the pastor to come. It's like, no, no, no. You guys, all authority has been given to you for you to go and pray. For you to go and share the gospel. For you just to share your testimony. You've been given authority to tread on serpents. Jesus says, if you're going out, right, and then a snake bites you, you won't be poisoned. Why? Because all authority has been given even over creation, even these things. So, you guys, we have a month leading up to Easter. And my heart through this this whole commission series is that you have been given authority. Jesus resurrected from the dead and that changed everything. That you don't need the priest and the Levites to, and pastors to minister. That God rose Jesus from the dead and Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth and he gives us this commission that we should go forth. I want you guys to walk out in your calling walk out in this mission of God to make disciples go to your co-workers, go to your neighbors, and begin to and walk in that authority that it's been given to you. It's been given to Christ, every authority, every power in heaven and on earth for you and I to go and share the gospel. And you know what the amazing thing is? Let me get into uh, eschatology a little bit here. Is that People always wonder, man, how come like crazy miracles don't happen, happen here in the West? Ever thought about that? Right? How come, how come, you know, people don't raise from the dead here in the United States like they do in Africa or South America? How come there's not these crazy miracles? 
Well, signs and wonders accompany the initial exposure of the kingdom of God. In other words, this present evil age, this kingdom of darkness is marked with what? Sickness, death, sin. And when Christ comes and the kingdom of God comes, it's letting you know the reign of God is here. It's a, just because this is the way things are, there's sickness and there's death and there's deformities, the kingdom of God comes, interrupts that and heals to give us a sign that the kingdom of God is here. And when you and I take that step of faith and we begin to share our testimonies and we begin to live out and pray for someone, is it okay if I pray for you? I mean, I don't care how ungodly you are, right? Who refuses prayer, right? Who is, and you don't say, I don't pray for you, brother, right? You say, is it okay if I pray for you right now, like right here? I've, I've done that everywhere. I've done that in the supermarket. I've done it at the gas station. I, where? Why? Because I am commissioning with God that I have spiritual authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus, it has been granted to Jesus. Jesus gives it to us that we should go. Walk out in faith. Walk out in victory. And take that step of faith to go and make disciples. Teach people to obey everything that Jesus did and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I want to leave with this quote again. It's the last quote. Yaroslav Pelikan, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. Because Jesus rose from the dead, sin has been conquered. Jesus defeated the grave. Nothing else matters. The things that you and I stress out about, Jesus has risen. It doesn't really matter. And because Jesus, and if and if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters because Jesus rose from the dead. The things that you and I do now, partnering with God in his kingdom, man, there is no plan B. Jesus went all in. He didn't use angels. He didn't use the skies and volcanoes. Jesus uses you and I to make disciples. You have been given every authority, all authority in heaven and in earth to live as a disciple, as a follower of Christ. Let's go ahead and pray.